Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart, the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I'm Hannah Camacho. It's been a little while, um, and I'll explain why. Um, I had the lovely privilege of attending Lightbox this year, which was an incredible expo uh, put together by Bobby Chu and company, <laughs> and uh, met so many amazing artists, had a lot of things to sort of unpack in my brain and my artistic journey, and was really excited that the incredible Peter Moorbacher was one of the um, attendees and exhibitors there. His work is absolutely mind-blowing, and if you have not checked it out, please do. His Angelarium series is unfreaking believable. Um, he not only uh, has a lot of wonderful personal projects, he's really a veteran artist in the biz. And I was really pleasantly surprised to learn that he is um, a bit of a financial ninja um, and is really passionate about artists being able to achieve independence and keep that goodness going. So I was really excited to dive into this and so grateful that he was willing to let me pepper him with questions. Um, be sure to check out the show notes. There are some links to some things that Peter mentions, a lot of projects that he is involved in and up to. So make sure you browse that goodness while you listen to what he has to say. He's incredibly brilliant. Even if you're not a graphic artist or an illustrator, I know you're going to get something out of this episode. So go ahead and get comfortable and enjoy this conversation with illustrator Peter Moorbacher. Peter, you're a legend. I'm so grateful that you graciously offered to share some of your story this morning and kind of the philosophy behind what you do. So thank you. Happy to be here. Always happy to talk about myself. Well, good. <laughs> Before we get started, and it was really lovely to, to get to at least briefly meet you at Lightbox and see some of your amazing merch in the flesh. But before we mm -hmm. kind of dive into your backstory, um, you want to share a little bit for people who may not be familiar with your work, what you're up to these days. Well, um, for the last, like, I think it's coming up on six years now. I've been working entirely for myself. Um, I used to work in video games and uh and and tabletop gaming then i decided that my uh i'd be uh probably better off just uh making my own art and selling it directly to my audience and so i've been working on a personal project called angelarium uh full time for for now longer than i've held any professional job so um yeah i i make my art i i upload it uh on the internet everywhere that people look at images and then people uh support me on patreon kickstarter through the project's website and at conventions, and uh, it's worked out really well. It's really fascinating, and I can't wait to dive into that a little bit more because I think that's something that so many artists have not figured out and are almost afraid to figure out. So I can't wait to dive into all the juicy details. Before we kind of come back to present day, though, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your history. So you were born, and then what? Um, I find at least what I have read online really interesting because it seems like in your teen years you kind of got some clarity and then sort of made it happen. But if you don't mind sharing some of your history, I'd love to hear it. Um, yeah, I guess the history the history has always been re-edited. The older you get, the more you sort of connect pieces in different ways. But the uh, the current story is that you know when I was a teenager, I was really into anime, and um, at some, there was just some morning where I woke up and I just wanted to give a try to making something myself. And, um, I pulled out the old art supplies from when I was a kid and just started going to town. And it's, it's been a, a major part of my life ever since then. That was when I was 16. 
uh, I tried to go to to art school, um, and I thought I, I I always wanted to be make video games, and so I always thought that meant being a programmer. But when I got into art, I discovered there were some art programs that were geared towards game development, and so uh, the first one that rolled my way that had a game art program, I signed up for it, and so I ended up going to the uh, the notorious art institutes. Um, I don't know how much they've come up on your show up to this point, but okay. there's a sort of a generation of artists that like uh, quite a few of us have ended up going to these the, these for-profit colleges that I, I think it's largely shut down now after the government sued them for making some pretty extraordinary <laughs> promises. Indeed. But there's a lot of really, um, really accomplished people that have come out of there. I think uh, speaking to the sort of uh, uh, intense entrepreneurial spirit that that artists tend to have, you know, they're they tend to be very driven for reasons other than just uh, employment and uh, practical skills. And I think that even coming out of a place that was really not, you know, uh, very good at providing art education, uh, there's a certain type of person that that does well, anyways. And um, uh, I've I, I was really really driven while I was in college. I I picked up a, a an art tablet. Um, uh, before my first day of class and I taught my I started teaching myself how to paint in Photoshop because uh, it turned out it wasn't actually part of the curriculum oh my um, <laughs> and I, I I was just like picking apart what I was seeing from other digital artists online and talking to people and I met a couple other people who were sort of on the same uh, had the same group of interests as far as digital painting went and it was a lot of peer learning and by the time I graduated, I, I had already started to get published in art annuals and um, started to get a little bit of attention as far as employment went. Um, and and so that that ended up sort of catapulting me into a, a game career straight out of college, despite the fact that my degree didn't end up doing anything for me. Um, so I, I really don't want to say self-taught because it really is was a matter of like um, – you know, learning from peers and, and learning from free resources online. So when I get a lot of questions from people about how to learn how to do this. And, you know, I say practice, which is really the, the it's a one word answer, but it is totally true. It really is just a matter of doing it. I mean, not only because that's the way that I did it, but also because of what I see in the people around me is that everyone, um, Everyone has a different artistic voice and needs to learn a different set of skills and needs to learn a lot of lessons about themselves and their own creative process. And so I, I find that um, uh, it, it's unhelpful to tell someone to do very specific art learning exercises, um, that it really is about you know personal investment and uh, an investment in spending time working on your own things that, that drive you. And, uh, and that seems to be universal across all the successful people I know. So it's, it's unfortunate that I, there's not a more specific, more practical piece of advice that I have for a lot of people who are getting into art education, other than to tell them to practice and to, to listen to themselves and enjoy working. But totally, I think people crave an easier answer because <laughs> yeah. practice is not, yep. it's not easy, but, um, I love the simplicity of that. That's great wisdom. Um, you have mentioned in some other interviews that there really was no op no other option for you. You kind of just hit on this for sure, so I don't want to be redundant. But what are some of the choices, even, um, I guess, interpersonally, maybe not so much related to art, but that you made sort of as you were coming to the end of your education that helped set you up 
to uh, be able to grab some of those jobs right out of school um, in addition to practicing your art, obviously, and building a portfolio, I'm sure. Um, I, you know, I don't know if there really was a, uh, the reason why I felt like there wasn't really a lot of other choices was because, um, you know, there's only so many think ways I add value to the world around me. Um, you don't get a job just because you're, you're good enough at something. I mean, you have to actually provide value to somebody else. And I'm, I'm more interested in and better at doing art than I am at just about anything else. I think looking back on it, if I if I had ended up in a different life situation, I might have been able to do something technical because I'm pretty I'm pretty good with uh, systems. So I could do something like IT probably, but um, I didn't really know where those opportunities were. I guess I didn't know where the game opportunities were either. It was just a lot of participating with stuff online. And then I had a friend from middle school who ended up at a, as a game programmer at a shovelware company uh, south of Chicago. Uh, way, way south of Chicago in a town called Lamont, Illinois. Interesting. Um, and I, I got a job there making My Little Pony games. So <laughs> that, that wasn't really a matter of good choices or specific <laughs> opportunity making. It really was just like, what hey, I, I know how to make art. And then they're like, hey, who do you know makes art? And um, most of the graduates coming out of the, the local game schools like did not know how to do basic stuff as far as making graphics went. So... Uh, it was a short list of people. And also, um, there was a very small employer pool in Chicago time. Midway had closed down, was closing down by then. Uh, I missed that. That was probably where I would have ended up if I had graduated a few years earlier. Um, <laughs> that company was run by the mob. <laughs> <laughs> um, somehow the... <laughs> Somehow the mob couldn't figure Crisis out how to make game, game development. But oh my goodness! Did you? I know a lot of people. It seemed like it was a cool place to work for a while. But anyways, yeah, I ended up making shovelware um, for a bit, and then when that collapsed, tried my hand at teaching. Uh, I, I was not good at the politics of working inside an educational institution. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> and then um, I tried freelance. I discovered that the math on my freelance career didn't add up, and so I was living with my parents trying to do freelance and there was simply no way of putting enough jobs on the calendar to be able to make a living uh, based off of what I could get. So I started asking around and one of my freelance employers uh, had recently gotten purchased by a game developer out of Iceland and they were hiring all of their freelancers as full-time employees to become game developers, which was a terrible idea. Um, because they ended up just hiring a bunch of people with totally different skill sets to come in, to all move to Atlanta and become game developers on a project. So they were populating this huge team with people that had a little to no experience in that industry, which is, a it didn't work. It, that game was in pre-production for seven years before it got canceled. Oh my goodness. These so, first yeah. art gigs sound uh, quite tumultuous. Did you? In the early years here, did you start to wonder if you'd made a mistake or did you find that working on other people's projects wasn't nearly as fulfilling as working on personal projects? Kind of what was going through your head at that time? At my head, in my head at the time, I was just kind of delusional about it. I thought, you know, I'm making it. This is awesome. This is how it works. Um, and I, when I talk to people who are in sort of tumultuous employment situations, that's generally the story I hear from them as well, is that, you know, this is how it is. This is how it works. And 
I've got stories. I've got I've heard some crazy stories from friends of mine who um, who spent time in game development at in really and not like a, not big developers. This isn't like spilling tea or anything like weird indie weird indie developers where they just thought this is games. Everyone said it was going to be hard. Uh, of course, uh, you know, hiring and firing is done by duck, duck, goose, you know, and you, you just hear these stories and you're like, wait, like literally there's a it, there's an all hands meeting. They do duck, duck, goose to fire people. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that was that's oh, that. Happened. My goodness. That's um, unbelievable. Yeah, it's it like, is oh, believable yeah, and, and unbelievable. The heads of the company were arrested by the FBI and you're like, what, the, what, is, what is happening? Yeah, and, and so I think everyone who gets into these industries are just so grateful to be a part of it. They're willing to overlook just about anything, any kind of weirdness at the time. Because, you know, what do you expect? Like, you you know things are supposed to be intense and weird in a creative environment. So, um, yeah, if there's an extreme drinking problem inside the studio, you know, that's just <laughs> part of boys being boys, you know, whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. That's and awesome. so uh, I was fine. I was happy at the. Uh, I mean, I don't think I was happy during those years, but I, I was. I was uh, satisfied. Sure. Um, and I thought it was all working, and I guess it kind of did work. Yeah, um, yeah. Was there a job that sort of came along eventually that that was, uh, I guess, markedly different than what you had been experiencing? That kind of sort of started to inspire you that maybe there's something better or different, or hey, I want to work for myself. Um, let's see. I, I, there was a period of time where I had a pretty good relationship with Wizards of the Coast. Sweet. Um, uh, but then when I went, when I went indie years later, I looked back on those times and went, wait a minute, like the, the copyright, the copyrights on all those pieces are worth way, way more than what they were, what I was selling them to them for. And so it was just, I haven't had a, I never had a professional experience that ended up being like, uh, you know, my heyday, like, yeah, there was, there was a, uh, I was working the, after, after, um, working on that, on that, um, game in Atlanta for like four years, I, um, I was part of a round of layoffs. Uh, I was part of the first round of layoffs. And then I moved out to California to go work on Facebook games. And it was, it, it was, it was, um, it was kind of good because we were actually producing work that was going straight into a live game. So we wouldn't, you know, the, our work was, I didn't spend years getting my work thrown out again. Um, and it, it was, it paid good and there was a good team. I really liked the, the team of people I was working with there, but above me was basically all investment bankers. Like it was a company where creative choices and like the desire to make good games really, you know, weren't aspects of the company that anyone was interested in. Um, which I think is, is, I think what a lot of people saw who were working in the, in the, um, mobile and, and, um, and social game space, you know, as Facebook and mobile games were first kicking off, there was just a lot of companies all chasing after this, this pot of gold. And, uh, it, it was, it was, it was weird times. I think it probably is weird times out in San Francisco still, but. Yeah, I, yeah, a lot of psychology employed. How do we hook people as opposed to storytelling? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and so um, I I found that even with good pay and cool coworkers and decent benefits, that I, I found myself really unhappy. Um, even after just a few years, I was I was an art lead at the time. I had a nice. whole team of artists working under me. Um, 
Did you, did you enjoy that? Do you enjoy, um, you know, working sort of in person with a team, sort of leading them? Or is it something that you're, you're okay with not necessarily being a part of your life now? Well, throughout this entire trip, I kept ending, I kept sort of volunteering for positions where I was either teaching or managing. And so I built up a suite of like um, management skills. And this was like, that uh, professionally, that was sort of the peak of my management career. And I, um, I don't know, I, I like, uh, you know, if I'm when I was playing World of Warcraft, I liked playing the tank, I liked getting out in front. And so this was a professional version of that. And um, so when, you know, when it came, when, when that all ended, and I decided to just go solo, um, when it came time to try to hire people or work with people, like, you know, I've, I've had that experience. I've had a lot of soft skills that have gotten built up over the years of, um, that have helped me make the transition to being indie. Um, so there's never been a point where I felt like I really, you know, made it professionally, but I don't know how many people really ever feel like they've made it professionally. Everything's always, everything's always sort of a, a patchwork um, Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of soft skills, it does seem like, and, and I don't want to broad brush, um, but it does seem like a lot of artists do tend to struggle in that area in terms of interpersonal skills, really excelling at those. Is that, is that something that you tend to see? I, I know that you mentor a lot of artists. Is that something that you end up kind of helping them realize the importance of the soft skills side of things? Um, do you see that as a trend with artistic individuals? No, you know, I, I really see a huge, the, the, art, the artist world that I end up seeing the most, um, a lot of independent creators, the, it, it's incredibly diverse, both in terms of backgrounds and personalities. And what I see more than a lack of soft skills is a lack of respect for the soft skills that people do have. Um, you know, people will say like, well, I don't really have any advantages. And then be like, well, what did you do before you were trying to be an illustrator? And they'll say like, oh, well, I was a graphic designer for, for six years. And it turns out like, you know, all of the graphics they make for their, their web store and their sales promotions and all this kind of stuff, like are all looking like a thousand times better than their peers because they have this background in like web development and, uh, and graphic design. And it's like, well, you know, you do realize that that's an advantage you have over 90% of the people, you know, 99% of the people around you is this history. I, I, there, was a, there was an artist in particular that I thought was really good at promoting herself online. And I, 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 you know, I rolled into the DMs. I was like, wow, you're really good at this. Like, what's your history? And she's like, oh, I used to do online promotion for some collectibles company online. Like, that was just... Yeah, some some what seemed like some bullshit job for some exploitative company turned out to be like on-site training for being able to, you know, run her own business at a very high level and have a lot of success doing it. So, I I think yeah, and so I, I what I see when I'm mentoring people is oftentimes people discount their own experiences and successes as just being default and it's default for them. I mean, we it, it's just very hard for people to look past their own personal experiences as being out of the ordinary because they're, everything's ordinary for us. Speaking of ordinary um, and, uh, well, I guess Lightbox, which is um, where I got to see your work in person again, and I've been a longtime fan. Um, 
but I'll be honest, when I was headed to your table, I wasn't quite sure what to expect because, you know, uh, at Lightbox, you're interacting with so many artists and some are what you expected them to be and some are a little different than what you expected them to mm -hmm. be. And um, having follow, <laughs> followed that series for so long, I was really curious. I was like, what is the guy behind this going to be like? Um, right. And I was really pleasantly surprised to find that you're just a very practical, straightforward, smart person. Do you find that a lot of people sort of expect you to be a caricature of... Uh, you know, uh, I guess yourself due to the type of art you produce? Um, you know, I always wonder what sort of character I should be playing to better <laughs> align with the expectations from the art. Um, I I had a friend help me out at Gen Con one year. He he kind of resembles like he, he kind of looks like the keyboard player from a new wave band. Um, and people would come up to him and go, wow, your art's amazing. He goes, oh, I'm just here helping out. This is this is all Pete stuff. And they they look at both of us and go, you guys are both amazing. Oh like <laughs> he didn't make anything. Um, this uh, this happens all the time with with women who, who sell at conventions. They their husbands always get complimented on their their art. Um, and it was like when I was when I was next to my friend Lee that that was happening a lot. So I think I should probably like have like a multicolored haircut and a leather jacket or something. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, I, quite honestly, I was relieved because sometimes when you're interacting with characters, they're great, but it's, it's a little unpredictable. So I thought it was amazing. So many artists talk about sort of having a difficult time finding their style and the Angelarium style is so inspired and interesting to me. Like I, I just this week was sort of showing a bunch of friends and they also kind of got addicted to what you've created um, and it really is a unique style and voice that you uh, have developed. And you talked a little bit earlier about trying to find that voice. And I know this is always a question everybody asks, but can we talk a little bit about the story of how you sort of ended up in the current style that you've developed? Yeah, sure. I, I don't know how much insight I have. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm just doing whatever. Um, yeah, I am not even really like trying. I've never tried to develop a style. Um, there have been times where I've looked back through a piece and went, wow, that was a good choice. I should repeat that choice. But, um, uh, as far as my painting style goes, when I see a pile of my work together, I see, okay, that's got a style to it. And when I see a collage of work, I see mine standing out in a certain way. I go, well, it does look different than other people's stuff, but I have no ac accounting for it. Um, it, it really wasn't a, a practical choice. I think I, I think if there's anything to explain it, it's that I think that the um, the style of art often comes from the way it's made, that the process leads the product. And I've, you know, I, my process is kind of unique, um, but not in a way that I think is, is extra good or effective. Just it, my process really just reflects the way I think through an image and the... Um, artifacts generated by that process create the look. Um, the fact that it, it's unique, I, I think is a great bonus. I'm really happy that people like the way that, you know, my style comes out because um, this is just me trying to do the best I can with the tools that I know how to use. Sure. I'd love to talk a little bit about your process when you do get an idea for a new um, character or angel. Um, what, what's the next step? What do you, how, how do you take it from there? Well, before I have an idea, I, I, it starts off with the intention of, of needing to do a piece. Um, I think about what, um, with the angel series specifically, it's, um, 
it's a matter of me picking out which angel I want to do first. So there's not a lot of lore or history behind them in general. So you just have like Zachriel, Angel of Memory. And so I go, okay, well, Angel of Memory sounds cool. And it, the, the first step is really picking what is this piece going to be about? Because from there, I don't really have like a, you know, a bolt of inspiration. I'm trying to build together a collection of what are all of the things I associate with the themes that I'm trying to produce? Is there a mood that I associate with this? And so it's a matter of me trying to fulfill the needs of the piece, um, figuring out what ideas I even have when it comes to the chosen theme, the, the chosen character. Now that I'm, I'm like um, going back through and re-illustrating a lot of these guys, it's a matter of me looking, you know, picking a character design I know I'm going to re-illustrate and saying, okay, well, is there another angle I have on this concept? Is there a way of turning this thing inside out or um, take, having an interesting different take on the same set of themes? You know, what memories or associations do I want to, uh, is there something like, that's happening in my life that is a really strong feeling right now that I feel like I can draw from for this piece. And from there, it's a matter of problem solving and solutions rather than, um, than an inspiration. Yeah, yeah totally. That makes a lot of sense. Is there, um, so throughout the character series, obviously so many of them are so different, but I know there are intentional choices that you do tend to make consistently, see consistently with each of the pieces. Did you want to talk about those at all or, Explore well, that. I think the question I get a lot is like, why are there no faces? And that that was originally just it made sense in the moment. And I've sort of backfilled lore to make it make sense. Um, I think that that comes from one of the series being inspirations, which is from like um, uh, like Ultraman and old like Japanese monster stuff where um you know, an an anime mecha where it's like this sort of dehumanization, this sort of giant dehumanized figure represents sort of this large concept that's been embodied. And so this, you know, the either the pilot or the person who transforms into it, like um, sort of loses a matter of humanity in exchange for this like larger, more elemental power. And it it it's cool. And like it makes the characters more mysterious. So between I think people inherently understand this idea of um, characters that are um, sort of transcended their humanity and become something that's larger but also less human. And taking away the face um, combined with the other design choices gets to that really quickly. It's a it's a really good shorthand, but it's also an interesting creative problem because I need to figure out new ways of either removing or obscuring the face on each character. So if I'm going to do a new angel design, I can't just eliminate the face in the same way every single time. Cause then it starts to get too repetitive. I mean, there's, there's so many repeated elements throughout the series already. I need to pick where I'm going to be repetitive and where I'm going to try to be inventive. And so I need to come up with a new way of redesigning this abstracted face or head every single time I create a new character, which is a, it's a fun it's creative challenge. challenge to take yeah. On. yeah. <laughs> so even though I'm drawing centered character portraits over and over again, I still need to like there I'm I've, I've drawn this little box on the ground and I'm sitting in it like a cat and I just like, I sit in the box and I try to find new and fun ways of sitting in this box over and over again. And um, it's really satisfying for me. I love it. And even if I don't think I even noticed that right off the bat, but it's amazing how much obscuring the face adds to the mood of the piece. And, 
Um, mm-hmm. I eventually noticed it. I'm not a super detail oriented person, but it's, it's incredible. So hats off, respect for that. Thanks. I'd love to talk a little bit about money. So my current sure. day job is I work in marketing uh, for a financial institution. So money is something that um, huh. I talk about daily and I love it. And I really talk about love, soft skills. Do- <laughs> and I love that you're so passionate about um, finding ways to stay independent as an artist. And I know you even meet with a group of people who are passionate about the same thing. So I'd love to just open the door for you to talk about that journey and what you've learned and what you're passionate about and sort of, I guess, recurring themes that you and the small group you meet with sort of talk about in terms of keeping the magic going. Well, I think um, the root of all that came back to me doing conventions since I started making art when I was like 16, 17. So I've been um, I've been doing uh, showing my work at conventions since 2003. Uh, so 16 years worth of doing this, though only a few years doing it at a really uh, at a higher level. Um, just a lot of artist alley tables, a lot of always standing next to my work, selling it and, and seeing other people sell commissions and sales online and thinking about that. And, um, when I went independent, um, a, a friend of mine who I knew through convention connections, uh, Sam Flegel, we, uh, we, we would often just like sit on the floor, not sit on the floor, but be on, out on the show floor, standing around talking business, like, talking pricing, talking about upselling, talking about, you know, what we're, what, what things are selling and why trying to figure out the narrative of why people are making the purchasing choices that they are. And every time we would start bullshitting like this, there would be people around us, you know, the other artists around us would want to gather around and sort of like listen in. So we started doing a podcast about that topic, not specifically about convention sales, but about, you know, the whole package of being an independent artist. Um, so we've been doing that for like six years now. It's incredible. Um, and the so name of called, the podcast for those who aren't familiar, it's called one fantastic week. We've Ooh. got a bunch of episodes on the place where podcasts are found, but also we have like the whole thing. We did it with video. So the whole thing's on YouTube and, um, we've been doing more focusing less on interviews and talking about ourselves and more about, um, mentorship these days because, um, we, we are really for way further along in our journey than is useful to talk about for most people. So what we're doing is we're finding people who are in familiar, um, sticking places. Yeah. Who are earlier on or stuck in a familiar spot and trying to work with them and, and push their story along, uh, further live on air. So to use as an example for other people. Absolutely. So you've kind of, um, you're not banking on any, ha ha ha, no pun intended, banking on any one particular income stream. It's sort of a, um, a mixture of Patreon, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, mentorship, podcasting, um, and obviously selling your art at conventions. Have you found that it's been difficult to manage all those pieces and parts and or is there one in particular that's emerged to be really important to your livelihood or how does that sort of shake out? Um, well, uh, for me personally, I think my, my biggest source of regular income is my online sales. And then, um, and that's for prints and play mats, card decks and books. Um, I haven't ventured too much into educational products because I don't like doing video production. Uh, and so all things being equal, I'd rather sell art than sell video packages. So um, I don't make a lot of money from education, even though I've been doing this podcast for like six years. And we, we're, um, 
we're doing a yearly workshop that we're taking next year off. We've been doing it for five years. It's never, um, we get some Patreon money from it, but we never really designed the educational stuff as being a moneymaker for us because um, we wanted to talk, it, since the, the, the conversation is so much about the business, we didn't want the solution for making a living as an artist to be selling business solutions to other artists. It just wasn't scalable inside the community. We wanted to show that it was possible to do it with the art, selling to a crowd outside the art community. And so that's that's where Sam and I both make the majority of our money. Um, I think behind uh, my online sales is probably my convention sales, which uh, these days I have a convention manager who um, is going out on the road for me for a large number of my shows. The vast majority of them I'm, I'm not even at anymore. Um, I still pay for everything and I still, it's still all my art and I have control over it. I'm just not acting as a salesperson behind the booth as much. And then Patreon is probably third behind that, but I have a really big soft spot for Patreon because, uh, when I'm, when I'm making money on Patreon, people are mostly paying for me to have simply made the art, you know, rather than, yeah, like, cause, um, you know, before my career really started, my my favorite art um, community was on DeviantArt. And I was following a lot of people who were big inspirations for me. And I hated it when they got commissions and they would go and do some terrible original character design as a commission because they needed a couple of bucks, you know, like. I'm like, you're, 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 you know, they would stop and they would say, oh, we're accepting, I'm accepting character commissions and for like 30 to $50. And then for the next <laughs> several months, it'd be these terrible OCs, just this waterfall them. And I'm like, I'll pay you to not do OCs. <laughs> I'll pay you to just keep do something that art. feels inspired. Yeah. Right. I was really willing to, I was like, I don't have a lot of money, but I will, I, like, I bet you there's other people out there that feel the way I do. We will pay you to not take commissions. We'll pay you to just make, cause like I, it was such a huge treat for me to see new art from my favorite creators in a, in my inbox that I, I wanted to pay them to do that. And that was way before Patreon came out. So as soon as Patreon launched, I was like, oh shit, oh shit, they did it, they did it. This is what I've wanted the whole time. And so I popped on there and everyone's like, well, what are you selling? I'm like, I'm not selling anything. Like I, the point is that people, the point is that people want to see the art so bad they're going to pay me just to have made it. And that's not like, it, but I was coming to that from the reverse perspective. It wasn't an ego trip of like, I'm so valuable, uh, people should pay me just to breathe. And, and I think a, a lot of people misunderstood that because either they never considered themselves on the other side of that um, equation or um, you know, they just never connected that. And, and I, I had been thinking about this for so many years. I was like, this is it. Because I think that if um, people can figure out how to get Patreon to scale, I've been kind of ignoring mine for the last couple of years as I've been delinquent on a very late Kickstarter. But um, I, I really think that it's possible for an artist to make like a, a comfortable living entirely off of just the value just from having made the art at all and uploaded it for free onto the web without having to provide any kind of um, product. And I wanna, I wanna keep pushing towards that as a big goal um, because as much as I like making the money from the sales and stuff, um, I really just wanna make the art more than I wanna make products. And the, the products I want to exist, um, they're for people who wanna buy them rather than me having to 
sell them. Um, because yeah, I've had my store offline for the last month and a half while I've been moving mm. and I'm getting a lot of angry emails from people who oh want to buy stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, I want them. I, I don't want them to be like, uh, I want to be able to like them to have the things they want. Sure. Like they really, really want these prints or these playmats. <laughs> and I'm like, I want you to have them. Um, so I, I want to probably keep making stuff because I, I can tell that's what people want from me. And I am perfectly happy to be paid to do that as well. It's a good relationship. It's reciprocal. Um, but my, my main interest is in, you know, the creative process, making art, putting it on the internet, sharing it with people. And so that's where I want, um, I, I, I love that that's the first place I get paid. And I want that to really be like my, my full-time income from there and everything else just be, um, you know, I want other people to help me run it and, and just have that operate on its own outside of me. And so I want my main day, my main focus to just be on making art and putting it into the world and having a relationship with those fans. I love um, it. I love it. We want, we want that to happen for sure. Um, you talked a little bit uh, a minute ago about um, with uh, One Fantastic Week, sort of keeping a lot of the tips and tricks that you do share or the the um, philosophies you jump into kind of a little more entry level slash um, I guess people who are just getting into the biz. Do you find that there are some go-to tips that you tend to share with artists who are newer, who do approach you and they're like, money overwhelms me. Where do I start? Well, I think the, the conversation we have most often is has to do with authenticity. Um, I think, you know, when you commented on like, you know, you'd met me at Lightbox and you didn't know what to expect. And it turns out I'm just I'm very open, uh, very available. Like this is that that is um, that's that's the core of it, that that's what we need to be doing through the art as well, is to be speaking to our own experience and who we are and the way we see the world and just letting that out so other people can see it because that's creating a good experience for everybody. When, when, when people are creating from a perspective of um, needing to be more popular or needing to be seen, they default back to um, creating things sort of in, in bad faith where they, uh, they, they'll draw an orc because they say, well, I think that I need to get work in the fantasy world and I think orcs are fantasy, so I'm drawing this orc. What do you think? And they get a lot of portfolio reviews that say, oh, your anatomy needs to be better and your perspective is off. And they're like, got it. I'm going to take anatomy and perspective classes. And I'm like, I look at the portfolio and I go, I don't see the artist behind the art. Like, do you, why did you draw this orc? And they go, well, I want work. I want money. And I go, you're fucking it up. You're losing. This is like, this is not how anybody makes a living in this business. It's not a competition on who can draw the best orc. Um, it's not a competition on who can ZBrush together the best alien or who's the best at drawing, you know, um, large breasted assassins. Like this is, this is, uh, the greatest mistake that everyone seems to be caught up in is this crazy rat race to, to, to just be the best at some weird arbitrary skill that nobody is really measuring. Nobody's really paying attention. Like as a consumer of art, what I want to see is I want to see like, I want to see what's like in the head of other people. I want to see like interesting thoughts and ideas come into the world. Like everybody's got their own crazy perspective. And when you see that perspective in the work, you know, you, you won't get attracted to it. 
everyone gets attracted to it. That's that's where that's what artists are good for. That's that's what the whole art process is for is is for externalizing this this secret internal world of ours and 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 discovering that like other people the stuff that's in other people's heads is like the stuff that bounces around in our heads and it's exciting and it's um it's empowering and it's like uh, it it's special and I, I I I constantly feel like I'm making the case for people to do that more. Uh, which is crazy because I think that's the reason people get into art is because they feel the need to do that. And then at some point along the line, they're like, I don't think I can draw works good enough. And I'm like, who cares? Just throw out the portfolio, the the weird fantasy portfolio. Don't have your bad landscape in the back just because you think you should have a, a piece <laughs> to tell people you can draw yes. landscapes. Like, seriously, if all if all you want to draw is possums, just have a portfolio full of possums. Be the possum guy <laughs> or girl or whatever. And you know, there's really no, there's no subject matter that's too niche mm. or too weird yeah. or too like personal for, I think, uh, there not to be some audience out there in the world for it. Mm. Um, my friend, my friend Gawky keeps drawing roadkill and people keep buying her prints anyway. <laughs> I can't I even, it. <laughs> it's, it's just like you, when you see an artist who's, who's genuinely expressing themselves in the art, like it's hard to ignore Absolutely. Do you find that with your Angelarium series that what, what kinds of things do you hear people coming back to you with? Because obviously that is coming from a very personal place within you and it evokes something in the audience. What kinds of interactions do you tend to have with fans of the series and, and what do they say about it? Well, um, the, the point where people get really excited about a piece is when they see part of themselves in it. Mm -hmm. And that's when you look through Angelarium as a collection, you see a lot of diversity um, because I'm trying to break down individual concepts and ideas into their own characters. And so people are attracted to I have to have a variety out there because I'm, uh, it, I think the series has worked largely because people will have an attraction to some idea or mood um, that is embodied in one of the characters and they'll latch onto it. And it, sometimes they'll tell me very personal stories about um, major events in their life or, you know, um, struggles they've had and how this painting is the first time they've ever seen that, um, you know, expressed in a visual way. And it's, it's really special for me to, to hear that. But I think, you know, some of the most popular pieces uh, from the series are popular just because they are a very common sort of fantasy and um people try to say oh well you're not doing typical fantasy i'm like well i kind of am i'm kind of i may not be talking fantasy but it is definitely just that those idle thoughts the the daydreams and you know mental motions that are happening are are being expressed in a in a digestible form visually and people see it and they go yes i get it like just on in terms of like their mood. They, they know what it is that they know that feeling. They know that, that fantasy or that idea when they see it. And so they see themselves in the piece and that's the point where they become excited and, and interested. And the fact that it's a collection of angels is, uh, creates structure to it so that people can say, Oh, I like the whole collection. I like the whole idea of this being a, a world of angels. But I think the reason why anyone cares at all is because within some of the individual pieces, they recognize uh, a common mental or emotional ground with another person. 
through the work. And and that's like that's where it, it gets really interesting and special and where people um, develop an emotional connection to it enough Absolutely. to want to like spend money or support the project or whatever. Absolutely. I love that. And I love that you are such an open person and you are a mentor and you love talking about these things and making them real and sort of you're very eloquent. So it's, you know, it's, it's lovely to hear these things crystallized in a way that's easy to digest. Um, as you've been on this journey for a while and you're feeling comfortable in it and yet it's always, um, there's always something new to learn and something new to grow in. What are you finding is your reality right now in terms of your artistic journey and what challenges come along with sort of, uh, being a bit of a veteran in that realm? Um, I don't, I think, I think the biggest challenge is probably complacency because, um, I, I found myself, I, I can, I can get a, a month's worth of work done in a week, but I find myself struggling to fulfill my obligations for a full month every month because it's really easy to let, um, distractions in and to become unfocused. And, um, you know, when you, when I was first getting started on this, it was, um, I was so behind in terms of, you know, I, I was just trying to build this thing from scratch and I needed to get my first sales in the door. I needed to get all the systems set up to be able to take orders and, and produce prints and all that kind of stuff. And so I was rushing, rushing, rushing through it. And I was producing a piece a week on top of setting up the business. And there was this intense pressure to constantly push forward with it. And I was doing a really good job with it. But nowadays, there are so many things that are distractions or um, important activities that I want to put off that end up inducing some pretty heavy procrastination that like I find myself um, struggling to constantly provide momentum for it. And um, I'm, I'm still figuring out exactly what I need to do in order to um, I, I'm, I'm happiest when I'm active and productive. And so it's, it's a, it's a struggle to, um, try to keep myself engaged because disengaging with it isn't, is like, is terrible. It's not just, it's bad for business, but it, and it, it's bad. It's bad for me mentally. Uh, it's bad for me emotionally. And so, um, I, I've been, I, that's something I've been talking a lot about of, is, you know, trying to find, uh, I've got a certain amount of history with ADD, but none of the medications ever worked for me. So there's all sorts of self-help and improve, personal improvement stuff as well as, so it's like, um, really practical stuff like scheduling, um, you know, more holistic stuff like meditation and other different challenges, you know, trying to overcome these challenges so that I can, just stay active and engaged um, when I'm not like in this like underdog situation. Um, it's it's like it, you know if I were to just get really lazy about it, uh, not only would I think I would probably be less happy and time would just sort of wash over me, but also I think it would, I'd probably end up behind at some point. Like the momentum would drain away, and I don't know how I would even get it back if it were gone. So if I found there was a point where, oh, I, I didn't do enough this year and there wasn't enough money anymore. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'd even be able to turn it around after that. Like, it's really important for me to stay self-motivated and stay engaged, um, even when things are going well. 
And uh, I've heard so many nightmare stories from like older artists who have like found that year over year they've just become less and less productive. Um, it just is a combination of age and other life circumstances. And I'm just thinking, man, I really better get my stuff together because, uh, you know, if I want to do anything resembling retirement, not to quit art, but to just like not make choices uh, for the purpose of money, sometime in my elder years, I'm going to have to get everything together soon because there's a ticking clock. You know, you just don't get to, to grind and grind and grind forever. Um, Absolutely. I love that you're thinking that far ahead, too. That's that's a great wake up call. Um, I, I've tried as a matter of like this, this whole activity of being independent, I try to talk to a lot of people and that involves me talking to a lot of art students about the challenges they're going through and helping them up. Um, but also listening to them about what they're succeeding at and learning about what is happening in the world that I might not be, uh, seeing because I'm 35 at this point and I'm no longer in college, like far, far away from college students. Um, so, you know, Okay, I'm not on TikTok. What's cool? Like, what are what are the hottest me? What are the spicy memes <laughs> yes. right now? You know, what is what's going on in the world? How you guys <laughs> think you are going to make money? But then also, I talk to a lot of artists who are in their like 50s and 60s who have had really long careers to find out how things have gone over the years, how things are, have changed, you know, what what situation they're in, and uh, everything in between. Because it's really important to just have a have a clear view of the landscape. Um, there's so many, okay. So one of my pet peeves, I'm going to go in a jag here. The, uh, <laughs> one of my main things I really, I, I really don't like that's, that seems to have a certain amount of prevalence is this concept of there being a linear progression for artists. Anytime anybody says leveling up, I cringe. I hate, I hate leveling up. I hate talking about the, like people use a mountain metaphor that they're like climbing this mountain. And I'm like, you guys are idiots. Like, you're all climbing one mountain. You're in the, there's this continent to explore. There's this landscape out there. And I feel like I'm trying to, like, map this vast landscape of all these different ways of making art and making money and, like, engaging with people. And why are we doing this? And where are we headed in this huge open area? And everyone's headed in all these different directions. And when you talk to them, you find all these different destinations people are trying to reach. And then you go back to, like, the, you know, the art world that's centered around the entertainment industry, games and movies and stuff. And they all talk about the mountain. And I'm like, why are you so fucking obsessed with this mountain? Like, there's like no room at the top of it. Like there is, it's, it's not that big an industry. There are so many people who are just sort of like collapsing on the side of it. And I'm like, you just leave the mountain. There's lots of other places to go. And it's like, I, when it, when you when you start looking at it from the perspective of of a of an open landscape, one where you can plot a course to anywhere you want to have as a destination, and you see that there are people headed one direction or another, not because they are confused, but because they are unique, uh, you you gain this freedom, this liberation from this this um, this like ultra competitive world that I think so many people see. And uh, it's, it allows you to feel more empathy towards other your fellow travelers. And also it makes you feel less competitive because um, I think a lot of people have, have talked about how they, um, they have a hard time being around artists who are more successful than them. Um, that it, it's like challenging emotionally for them to be in a room where they are not like one of the best. Uh, 
And uh, I, I, I don't have that problem because I, I look at this. If somebody is like got some awesome gig on a movie, I'm like, cool. And I don't ever want to work in, in film, really. So I'm, I'm just like, cool. Like, how, how is it? Are you enjoying it? Like, what? Like, tell me about tell me about the ways this is a, a big win for you. I would always rather hear that somebody is doing better than doing worse. I can be it can be happy for other people's journeys because I, I don't I'm, I'm not worried about them stealing my little plot of land. There like, are so many possibilities. And in, in, I love that analogy so much because the mountain one is tired and it seems almost too straightforward. And I love, I, I just really, really resonate with that because um, if that actually feels to me more attainable and interesting than, than the Yeah, you've got these people like constantly pushing each other off the mountain and like trying to like ed- edge each other out and like, you know, and then they, they feel bad about the people ahead of them. <laughs> You know, they feel oh, guilty about goodness. people behind them. And it's it's bad feelings all the way through and through. And I, I hate that about it. And I don't even think it's I don't think I don't even think it produces good results. I mean, I think the you know, I, I see people who are succeeding in their own way on their own terms and they don't participate in that 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 linear progression in any way at all. And um, they get written off over and over again. We're coming to the end of our hour here, so I want to be respectful of your time. But I know you create so much art and, I mean, for lack of a better term, content. I know that's a bit of a buzzword right now. But when you want to sort of sit back and consume and be inspired, what are you excited about these days? I mean, any TV shows, books, what have you? Um, I, I play a lot of video games. I, I, I buy a lot of games on Switch. Um, I just Last night I bought the new Zelda and I bought uh, the Untitled Goose Game, and we ended up playing the Goose Game before we played Zelda. And I have a feeling, <laughs> I have a feeling we're, we're actually going to get more use out of the Goose Game uh, right now. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this game's called Untitled second. Goose Game. Wait a <laughs> wait a damn minute! And I'm like, who's why? Are, why am I seeing all these tweets about this Goose Game? It's twelve oh bucks. I'll buy it. You know, that's hilarious. It's you cheaper than know. the takeout food I just ordered. Of course, I'll buy it. <laughs> Oh man, some of those runaway hits are are always surprising. Yeah, um, I really love indie games. Um, one of my uh, favorite games in the last few years was Celeste, and they just released a new bit of free DLC. So um, uh, I really like uh, sort of old school platformer games. I was really into Hollow Knight. There's one of the only pieces of fan art that's on my Instagram feed is a Hollow Knight fan art. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, it. that's kind I, of how I, you recharge and consume media. I love it. Yeah, I like uh, I like games that are sort of like a, a piece of art and have something to say rather than I try to stay away from online games, ones that are like match based, sort of compulsive playing over and over again. You'll probably never see me play Overwatch or Fortnite. Um, but uh, yeah. That's good stuff. Well, Peter, um, I this has been really lovely. I feel like I've learned so much. It's probably going to take me the rest of the day and beyond to kind of unpack it in my brain. But before we uh, say goodbye, is there anything that you'd like to plug? How can people continue to support you as you evolve the series and beyond? Well, uh, the home base for my project is angelarium.net. And I'm always posting new content on there. I'm always making new stuff and trying to make it for sale. And uh, if you just like going there and looking at all the pictures, uh, go there and maybe consider backing it for a, a buck a painting on Patreon. If um, a very small percentage of my Instagram followers were to back for $1 per painting, I would never need to do anything ever again. Yeah. 
let's see, two, two, let's look at this 227,000 Instagram followers. If what was it? Um, if 1% of them were to back it, what would that be? Um, I, I know. I, I'm the math. decimal. The decimal point. The decimal point is if eighty. <laughs> that's right always now. what. That's always what gets me. <laughs> yeah. So that'd be twenty-two thousand seven hundred people backing at a dollar. That'd be that'd be almost twenty-three thousand dollars. Well, it'd be probably be after like fees and stuff. It'd probably be closer to twenty-two thousand dollars a month. Um, you, for you, nobody pays that. more than a dollar, and I wouldn't have to deliver any rewards or <laughs> ship anything in the mail. Hallelujah. So I wouldn't have on it. 22,000 that's one percent of my of my following were to do that twenty two thousand dollars per painting that would be incredible I hope it happens on the internet I don't think <laughs> that the crossed. conversion rates ever gonna get that high but that's like the when you that's start doing math on shit like that then yes. it starts the whole the whole world starts to look a lot more interesting <laughs> absolutely I like that we're uh we're off that mountain we're exploring other territory that's fantastic yeah seriously if you, uh, for, for your fans listening to this like please guys just uh, seriously consider just making the work that you care about most mm. it's it, it it produces the the most satisfaction the most value and the most future opportunities those are beautiful closing words peter this has been so lovely thank you so much thanks for having me